would encourage you to turn there with me. And as you're doing that, uh, this is our final sermon in our Rooted series. We've talked about these six areas that our church covenant has instructed. Uh, it's not encouraged, it is instructed us as members of this fellowship of what it looks like for us uh, to walk faithfully uh, as a church. This was not um, something that we sought to devise or sought to create uh, as a new thing for us here at First Baptist Eastwood. Uh, it's been how long has the church covenant been the church covenant? Okay. So it's been here a little while. Um, so this is not a new document. This is an old document uh, that was written uh, for us, for our good, for decades of, of faithful uh, walking as a church body together. And so as we've looked at these things, uh, we got about halfway through it, and the way that it was going to end was going to end with Derek's sermon, right? That's the end of the covenant. Like, we're not adding an amendment to the covenant. We're not doing anything like that. But the reminder is, well, what happens when the covenant's not obeyed? What happens when brotherly love is not pursued? What happens when being faithful soul winners and disciple makers is not being pursued. What, what happens when we are not obeying the covenant? And I think Matthew 18 helps us to be able to see what we do when disobedience occurs. Right? What we do when disobedience occurs. Think about it in this way. Some of you have gotten married in the last five years. Some of you even more recent than that. Some of you in days to come, years to come. But all the same, you know that you covenant together before God and man. They're witnesses of this covenant. And you read those vows ending in till death do us part. And we don't need to be statistical geniuses to know that nearly 50% of all marriages in the United States end in divorce. We are by nature covenant breakers. In our marriages, in our friendships, in our church membership, in our relationship with the Lord, we are at heart covenant breakers. So this is not a what you need to do to be more faithful to the covenant. This is let's get on our knees and recognize that we are at heart covenant breakers. And the only way that we can be more faithful to the covenant, we will not be ultimately faithful to this covenant, but the only way to be more faithful is to recognize that there is one, that in a world of covenant breakers, there is one who came and kept the covenant perfectly, that we would follow him. We would trust Him and we would love Him till death do us part. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Maybe we agree in word, but in action, say in a marriage, in word, they say, I do, till death do us part. But in action, one of them is a scoundrel. 
carousing with other partners, destroying their livelihood, breaking their covenant piece by piece, day after day. Hopefully your blood is beginning to boil and you are casting judgment in your heart. That's not right. That's not right. Your longing for justice begins to overflow. In a marriage, breaking the covenant comes with awful consequences. Well, let's apply the same principle to church membership. We have this document that's been printed on the bulletin as long as I can remember at the church that is our covenant. It is our binding agreement to one another and to our Lord. So let's apply the same principle of breaking covenant of marriage. An individual claims to be a part of our church. And let me just say, this is very hypothetical. This is not a real life thing. I'm like, oh, is he, is, is he uh, subtweeting me right now? No, this is a hypothetical. But an individual claims to be a part of us, believe what we believe, and yet in their private lives they dishonor Christ, our church, and the gospel by living so contrary to it. Their words aimed at others cause harm, not help. Their dealings with individuals uh, are shady at best, more in common with non-believers. And yet they remain members. Perhaps if we had clever little, little bumper stickers, they would brandish their cars with a bumper sticker that says First Baptist Church Eastwood. Yet their conduct is so reprehensible to what our church covenant says. What would we do? Maybe, like in the marriage covenant, your thought is, well, we should have a divorce. I don't think that's what Scripture says, at least not at first. So I want us to look at, from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, what it looks like to pursue faithful obedience to the covenant. I want us to see that disobedience to our church covenant is sinful and in need of humble and gracious correction for the purpose of faithful obedience to the covenant. To see that disobedience to our church covenant is sinful and in need of humble and gracious correction for the purpose of faithful obedience to the covenant. Hopefully in that we'll see the tenor of a gracious and humble correction. So if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word, stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus speaking says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is God's word. You may be seated. What is our response as individual covenant members at First Baptist Church Eastwood when we see a brother or sister step outside of our covenant? This could be so severe 
Or it could be in just a, an, an offshoot of a statement that just doesn't come across in a loving way that when we see from Romans chapter 9 that we ought to love. Let love be genuine. Pursue this brotherly love and affection towards one another. That is on the minor scale. But to say that it's minor does not mean to say that we ought to just reject it at all. Oh yeah, they were just unkind. We're just going to sweep it under the rug. I don't think Matthew 18 allows us to do that. So minor and major correction versus just letting it happen. It's not that big of a deal. So as we look at Matthew chapter 18, we're going to see a couple things. A couple things as it pertains to what it looks like for us as a church to be able to graciously and humbly correct one another. You see how I framed that? I didn't just say correct one another, but to graciously and humbly correct one another. So, verse 15, I want us to see the setting. The setting is not just that your feelings have been hurt. The setting is not just that something bad has happened, uh, neglectful of the scenario. No, the setting is, as Jesus says, if your brother sins against you. This is not they did a bad thing. This is not they thought a bad thing. This is no, you have actively been sinned against. We live in a very polite society. Some of you might say, really? Not when we're driving. It's not polite then. <laughs> but in the way in which we correct one another, we really just don't want to do it unless it's behind the keyboard. To be able to come and to say, man, I feel like I'm back in D.C. Y'all are like giving me some, I'm, I'm in, I'm in this. Okay, so to, to be able to say with authority, with love and with grace, to be able to say, hey, that's not right. We don't like that. There is fear of dying. There's fear of speaking in public. There's fear of all of these different things. But I think there needs to be, and I'm sure there is, a fear of confrontation. How many of y'all's skin just started to kind of creep of like, he said it. We hate confrontation. There is no one on the membership role by the name of Karen we do not like confrontation. And if we do confront, normally it's not in a biblical way. So I want to show us a better way. Jesus shows us this way. If your brother sins against you, you don't turn a blind eye and say, well, that's, that's too bad. No, Jesus says, go and tell him his what is the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is not, you're so great. You're so awesome. Man, good job, buddy. God loves you because you're awesome. And he sent his son because you're awesome. What a bunch of hogwash. That's not the gospel at all. Amen. The gospel is not clean yourself up so you can come to Christ. The gospel is you're so dirty and wicked. And even then, God shows his love and that he sent his son for you. The gospel in itself is a correction. The gospel is a confrontation that we are covenant breakers. 
We need the hope of the gospel. We need this perfect example of Christ. There's this really awesome song that we listen to at our home, and I heard it referenced in a sermon a couple years back, and I was like, what is he doing? But he's singing this song, The Ten Commandments. You remember? The Ten Commandments. They show us that we can't keep them. The Ten Commandments. They show us we need a Savior. Right? What good news that while we are covenant breakers, Christ came for us. So if your brother sins against you, the setting is to go to them. But it's not merely a setting, for there's also a response. The setting is your brother sinned against you. Our response would typically be, I'm going to put him on blast. And Miss Kay, if this kind of goes over your head, I'm, I'm going to try. Maybe it would be, I'm going to gossip about them. I'm going to talk about them, not talk with them. That's not a biblical response because Jesus tells us in verse 15, our response is action, go. Not go to anyone else other than them. Go tell him, the text says. Tell him his fault. You're not assembling this mob like in Beauty of the Beast. Let's kill the beast. No, we're going alone. Go. Tell him his fault between you and him. We might say things like, if it's not hurting anyone, what's the big deal? Sin always has consequences. Sin has massive consequences. That's why we don't merely say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's sin. So sin has consequences on others, but sin certainly has consequences on the individual who has sinned. Friends, let's not be neglectful. Let us not underestimate the gravity of sin. For it is in our sin. It is in our sin that we need a Savior. If there was no sin, Christ would not have needed to come and die. So there is legitimate sin. Go, tell him his fault between you and him alone. What's the purpose of doing this? The purpose is gaining your brother. Gaining your brother. For if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Right? That is the ideal. Someone sins against you, you go to them alone for the purpose of restoring and gaining your brother. That's the setting, your response, the purpose, to gain your brother. How many of us think of correction or think of confrontation for the purpose of restoring or gaining a brother? I don't think of that. I never would have imagined that when my coach in basketball would be yelling at me, he was doing it for my correction, for my growth. Now, 
to stop that analogy and say, yeah, so we should correct one another with yelling like your basketball coach did? No. With a gracious and humble correction for the purpose of gaining your brother. That's the ideal. You go and you tell him his fault alone between you and him, and if he listens, you've gained your brother. I think Jesus knew that his disciples would be able to say, Jesus, that's great as a cookie-cutter explanation, but what if, hypothetically, it doesn't go as well as that? Jesus, understanding their thoughts, continues and says, but if he does not listen, right? So you've given the response for the purpose of gaining your brother. Here's their response, the negative side of confrontation. They don't listen. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Right? So if he does not listen, you don't get to dust your shoulders off and keep going. If one of us fails in keeping the covenant, maybe perhaps they go to the far extreme of saying, I don't care anymore about this church, this covenant, or keeping it in the world. I don't care. We have an obligation as brothers and sisters in Christ, to go to them. And so if they don't listen, you don't get to just say, all right, I did it. That would be really easy. Lord, I, I confronted, I did the hardest thing for me to do. I did it because you said to do it. And they didn't listen. It's on them, not me. We might even say, I'm being faithful. But Jesus continues, when their response is not listening, you go again. But you don't go alone this time. You go and you take others with you. Two one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established. What's he doing here? He's showing, right? He's already said, go. If a brother sins against you, go. That's general. Sinned in which way? Active, passive, internal, external. What kind of sin are we talking about? Well, now we're not talking about high level. We're talking about go and establish these charges by bringing one or two people. Hey, that, that, um, that post that you made online, that video that you shared, that way that you handled yourself in that situation, it didn't, it didn't really match up, right? That's, that's not going and saying, you're, you're an idiot, you broke the covenant, you need to come back. No, it's a gracious humble. You're recognizing it's not just this person that's a covenant breaker. It's also me, right? Because Jesus gives us a reminder that before you go and you tell your brother about the speck that's in his eye, make sure to take out the log or the plank that's in your own. But we're not given the excuse of, well, they didn't listen to us but I did what I could. No, if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you to find this 
Is this credible or is it not? Did another person see it, hear it? Plead with them together. Friends, you could say that this series on our covenant is not just being rooted, but it's being rooted together, right? We're, we're not individual plants in individual pots kind of in this garden together. No, we're all plants in the same garden that are in this weird way rooted together because we're in Christ. And so we go together to win. Why? To win our brother back, to win our sister back. Their response, the negative side of confrontation, is they don't listen. It's as if Jesus continues to know, man, you're going to ask me for more stuff. I confronted them again. Uh, I confronted them the first time. They didn't listen. Uh, I'm going to confront them again with other people. Uh, And Jesus says, yeah, continue this process. Not because you want to get them. Not because you want to uh, do something harmful to them. What's the purpose of it again? To gain them. To gain them. Your continued action is pursue with others' help. This is where the one or two others come to help. Verse 17, their unfaithful response. What's happening You're seeing this process pursued in faithful obedience. Jesus is giving this as the ideal. Go to them in person. If they listen, you've gained your brother. If they don't listen, go with one or two, right? Go again. Verse 17, what if they don't listen again? If he refuses to listen to them, right? Here's the setting. They continue in unfaithful disobedience. They're not wanting to be united to this body. They're not wanting to be in brotherly love with one another. They're not seeking to live godly, fruitful lives. They're not seeking to be faithful stewards of all that God has given them. They're not seeking to be disciple makers and soul winners. They're not seeking to be what our church is called to be. Not only our church, but what the church is called to be. Friends, this process of correction, of calling our brothers and sisters to covenant obedience is essentially being able to draw out the line. You're not a member of this church because you're not a member of Christ's body. Because a member of Christ's body would end at verse 16. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But the process continues for their unfaithful response He continues not to listen. What do you do in that instance? The church's responsibility. The church's responsibility. You could give a litany of examples of churches not taking their responsibility seriously in their stewardship of the gospel, in their stewardship of resources, in their stewardship of proclamation of God's word, and in all of these different things. You could give so many different examples of where churches do not do a good job in honoring what we've been called to do. And we need to repent of that. 
But there are so many beautiful examples of the church taking its responsibility seriously that when we think about church membership here at First Baptist Church Eastwood, we're doing so with serious biblical meaning behind it. So we're not going to welcome children into membership unless they come with a credible profession of faith. We're not Presbyterians in that we're not going to baptize children before professing faith. We're not going to allow them to be members of the church because they're under the covenant of their family. We're convictionally Baptist, which means membership into the church comes through faith in Christ and through believers' baptism. Also, Convictionally, as Baptists, we believe in congregationalism. You see how this worked. It it didn't start with, go to your brother alone, and when they don't listen, take action. Take authoritative action. No, he says, go alone. Step two, go and take one or two with you. Step three, take it to the church. Why? Because there's a gracious and humble correction in this for the purpose of gaining your brother. You're giving as many opportunities as possible. But when he refuses to listen, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. He doesn't say tell it to the pastors. He doesn't say, tell it to the deacons. He doesn't say, tell it to the trustees. He doesn't say, tell it to your priest or to your rabbi. He says, tell it to the church. Another reason why we vote members in as a church and we vote members out as a church. The church should be doing these things in accordance with Scripture. And we do it as a church. So if he refuses to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Friends, our desire is to correct, to rebuke when needed, but with gracious and humble pursuit so as to win our brother and sister back. This is what's known as church discipline, the process of church discipline. That there are actually biblical categories where church discipline would be enacted. This is a slow form of church discipline. Think about it. Any moment of confrontation, any moment of applying God's word as a form of correction of discipleship so that we would be formed into the image of Christ is essentially trying to say, hey, brother, sister, you're you're being, um, you're you're getting off the road a little bit. So let's, let's Look at Scripture together, and and let's see where Scripture veers us back on the straight and narrow. Because this isn't one of those things that, oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine that you believe that there are many ways to get to God, and Jesus is just one of those ways. That's fine. Jesus says that wide is the path that leads to destruction. 
narrow is the path that leads to life. Church membership is an image of the kingdom of God. And we want people who look more like Christ, its king. Scripture also gives a quick path to church discipline, a quick path to church discipline. That there are actually situations and scenarios that I think go uh, above our church covenant where immediate action must be taken. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 gives one of those examples where the Apostle Paul writes and says, I've heard that there's conduct within your church that is uh, even, even the Gentiles are appalled at what's going on, right? A church member's taken uh, his stepmother to be his wife and having sexual intercourse with them. Even the Gentiles are appalled at the action and activity going on in your church. You need to remove them immediately. That's not what we're talking about here, but the Bible gives that category. This is a slow, methodical, prayerful, humble, gracious desire to not hope for discipline. I don't wake up in the morning, and hopefully you parents don't wake up in the morning just thinking, man, I might get to spank my kids today. It's not being live streamed so we can edit spanked out. I'm not going dis- to discipline my kids today. No one desires that. But we're reminded in Scripture that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. That Christ disciplines His Son. If He's not disciplining you, you're not a legitimate son. So we're not saying, you're you're not keeping with brotherly love. Come over here for your spanking. No, we're saying, hey, that was disobedient. That was sinful because... All of these statements within our church covenant are coming from Scripture. This is not devised by leaders of the church in old times. This is Scripture. So these commands, we follow them not because leaders at First Baptist Eastwood for time uh, uh, past have said to. We follow them because Scripture tells us to. We follow them not for our standing. We follow them not for our approval. But we follow them as those who have already been approved. We follow them as those who have already been approved. Right? If we look at those six statements and we were to keep a checklist of, okay, which one have I broken? Right? Not to get into, uh, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? As he's got this checklist of, yeah, all these commandments I've kept. No, we come recognizing that we have or will break our covenant with one another. That's the reality. We have or we will at one time break our covenant with one another. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we're sinners in need of God's grace. Receive correction from other members as God's grace. Give correction to other members as God's grace. What does that mean? That means you do it humbly. I think, not to put my interpretation on the scripture, but to get the interpretation of scripture on me, I think that's the reason for verse 15. 
hey, brother, sister, I just wanted to, I, I saw this and it just, it just grieved me, and I know, I know too much about you. I, I know your, your heart. I know your love for this other person. I, I, I know that you desire good for, for our flock. Like I, I know that, and I, I think it would hurt you to know that this could have been received that way. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't even, I, it didn't even cross, I, that wasn't my intention, but yeah, you're right, I need to go and I need to apologize. Friends, I'll tell you, he's not in the room because I can keep talking about him because that's how this works. I received correction from our pastor. I received correction from Derek regularly. And that doesn't look like crazy discipline. It looks like, hey, the way that you said this in your sermon could have been received in this way. And I don't think you would have wanted it to sound like that, but I just wanted to let you know. Now, I could say, who the heck are you? Who the heck is he? He's my pastor. He's my brother in Christ. He's my fellow member here at the church. Man, you're right. That could have been received that way. And that wasn't my intention. And that, I, I don't like that. So I need to ask for forgiveness in that way. Friends, I think that's what keeping faithful covenant obedience looks like. Humble, gracious, giving correction. Humble, gracious, receiving correction so that we would win our brothers. So that we would look more like Jesus in a world that looks so far from him. Friends, this is an upside-down reality. Church discipline stares straight in the face of society that says, no, 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 no. To be, to be kind, you've got to be accepting. To be kind, you've got to be tolerant. There is the reality of grace and truth. And so we don't make the rules. We fall in line with where Scripture says. So friends, I want us to see that we are by nature covenant breakers. We have broken God's covenant. We have sought our own way. As Isaiah says, we like sheep, we all have gone astray. We've gone our own way. That's us. That was us. It's not us anymore. Because we've been brought near. Through the gospel of Jesus, this perfect mediator, this perfect atonement, this perfect obedience of the Son of God, the covenant keeper. And so we encourage to stir one another up in this gospel, to remember Christ, remember the one who saved us as covenant breakers and stir one another up all the more to faithful covenant obedience here at our church. I think this radically changes two things. I think gracious and humble correction, both giving and receiving, changes two things. I think it changes the tone and tenor of what happens in here. It changes the tone and tenor of what happens in here. That we would not be so averse of using the terms conflict or confrontation, 
but that we would see every single time we open up God's word, that we would do so with humble and gracious hearts that recognize I am a sinner in need of God's grace and that I'm going to receive this word as a word that's sharper than any two-edged sword that can penetrate both heart and marrow, that we would receive that and would receive this correction. Correction's hard to receive. Correction's hard to give. But friends, when you give correction, not if, when you give correction, you do so graciously. You do so humbly with the intent of winning your brother or sister. And friends, when you receive Not if, when you receive this correction. All this correction is, is, friend, walk in the gospel. (laughs) I think it's ACDC that sings the song, Walk This Way. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Big boo-boo. Aerosmith. When Paul reminds us to walk in this way, that's what correction is. It's gracious, humble correction to the churches that he's writing to and saying, walk in this way. What is this way? Walk in the gospel that saved you. That is what discipline, what conflict, what confrontation ought to be given and received as. Brother, sister, walk in that way. So it doesn't just change the tenor of how we encourage and confront and see one another walk in this way because conflict and confrontation, uh, you, you can't have just one party that thinks you're in conflict. You have to have both parties being fully aware of conflict. So it doesn't just change things in here. It also changes things out there changes the way we walk in the world because our action our conduct our lifestyle that takes place in here for this one two maybe if you're a super christian three hours in a week uh, it will have ramifications outside it will have ramifications outside recognizing that those whom you work with might not be believers and are not going to follow this same conflict uh, style they're not going to follow the same scripture that you follow but when you are being encouraged and encouraging others to walk this way to walk in light of the gospel you're gonna do what you're gonna start to walk in accordance to the gospel And when your life begins to be so radically shaped by this gospel, not just in, yes, I believe this gospel for my salvation, but yes, I rely on this gospel to change me every day, to make me look more like Jesus. You will, radical thought, begin to look more like Jesus. Because that's His will for you. His will for you is that you would look more like His Son. What is God's will? Your sanctification. That's an awesomely fun word. Your daily dying to yourself and progressively daily looking more like Jesus. That's why we correct. That's why we call one another to covenant obedience. We do so humbly. We do so graciously for the desire 
and for the outcome of winning our brother. Friends, this is so important. Discipline is important, but doing it graciously and humbly is important. That we would not ever get to step three or even step two, but that we would have hearts so cultivated, so changed by the gospel and its impact in our life that when a brother or sister comes and says, hey, Sean, you might not be aware. I just wanted to share this. And oh, man, I'm so sorry that we would walk humbly and graciously in obedience with this covenant. Don't forget Jesus. Don't forget him. For a church that does not honor Christ in its regular conduct will not ever honor him in the world. A church that doesn't look Jesus on the inside will never look like him outside. A church that pursues his mission, rather that does not pursue his mission on the inside, will not pursue his mission on the outside. Friends, it takes covenant obedience. It takes faithful, humble, gracious, sanctifying life inside to make a difference. So don't be afraid to point these things out, but be watchful that we don't turn into Pharisees that we would speak the truth in love, calling one another to look more and more like Jesus, that we would pursue faithful obedience to the covenant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have given us this difficult, yet so helpful and encouraging way to stir up one another to call one another to repenting of sin for the purpose of winning one another. Father, help us as a church to be and look more like Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.